Hi everyone and welcome to another week of Ainsley Hooper Chats With. And this week I have Tully Zigar uh, with me. So thank you very much for uh, being on today, uh, Tully. And would you please just uh, introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do? Hi. Um, hi Ainsley. I'm Tully Zigar. Uh, I'm a social worker by because I have a Bachelor of Social Work and a Bachelor of Arts from Melbourne University. That's my background. Um, I practiced as a social worker for about six years or so and then decided I needed a change. So I joined VALID, which is the Victorian Advocacy League for Individuals with Disabilities, um, people with intellectual disabilities 18 and over. So I no longer do advocacy. I no longer practice social work. I actually do the, the marketing communication side at um, Ballard where I update the website. I'm in charge of the content of the website. I do our social media platforms and I also do our monthly um, e-newsletter as well. So that's my job. I do that part of mine. Mm -hmm. yeah, wow. Sorry. No, mm. I was just thinking, wow, so many things. Yeah. And that was part-time, you said. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I don't think um, having a disability and maintaining my health and mobility, it's too hard to do full-time work for yeah. me. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Something interesting that um, people won't know at home is that you and I have known each other for quite a long time now. I think it would have been about... 96 that I met you. That's crazy. I was, yeah, 16, 17. <laughs> I was a baby. And was, oh, wow. And I remember the first time I met you, I think it was, was it at a barbecue? Yes, it was on the Yarra River. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Dale. Oh. Um, so, so, yeah, for people at home, uh, Tully and I met, we um, used a thing called Internet Relay Chat back in the day um, where basically yeah, you just get on and chat to it. Um, it's hard to explain to people that don't use it, but, yeah, you'd sit there at a keyboard and you'd chat to people in a room, similar to what you do on Facebook, but it was, in a, it was just a text-based thing, so you didn't see any faces or anything like that. So you didn't, yeah, it was very anonymous. You didn't see photos or anything like that. So, yeah, Tully and I, we used to chat in um, one of the, what we called channels back, back then. And yeah, we used to have IRC meets, internet relay ch chat meets. And so yeah, you'd, you'd go and you'd meet strangers at like, you know, either pubs or whatever. And yeah, it was such a, isn't it such uh, a, when, when you talk about uh, it, it's such a, like a weird thing to think that we actually used to do it, just go and yeah, meet, meet strangers. I mean, there's internet dating and all that stuff. Like the thing, the thing is, yeah. I, um, I did it. I think I went on, no, I went on internet. I went on IRC mm -hmm. because I wasn't happy. I wasn't very happy at school. Um, okay. And disability um, and being different to my peers, I just, I never felt accepted. Mm -hmm. So I discovered IRC and I discovered all these people who were kind of weird and different and accepting, you know, mm -hmm. and it was just a lovely it was a lovely escape from mm. stuff. 
Yeah. Um, and I met my first boyfriend on it, which is pretty cool. So. Wow. It, it's, it's interesting because I don't, and this, yeah, I didn't, I remember meeting you at the Yarra River when we had that barbecue and then yeah. there, was, there was like, I can't remember how many people there was, but it was huge. I think that barbecue would have been in about 99. Yeah, 1999, I reckon that was. Um, just thinking about certain events that happened around that time. So, uh, and yeah, and I remember you walking along and you had, I think you had a stick at the time. No. So no? I had two friends with me. We'd just been out for Yamcha, which was mm-hmm. yummy. Um, and it was funny because my walking was shocking back then. I didn't use an aid. Right. It was very wonky. I, my walking was quite wonky and I needed support. So I needed mm-hmm. like people, I needed to hold people's arms. Yes. Um, and I think I remember at that event, someone asked me if I was drunk because ah, of the way I walked. Right. Um, yeah, because... They didn't know. I don't think anyone really knew on IRC that mm. I had a disability. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know? I no. Don't remember. No. So this is and this is an interesting thing. So I didn't know until that day that you came to the Arrow River that you had a disability. Um, and yeah, so it, it got me thinking because I know I used IRC. So I started using IRC when I was nineteen. Um, and yet for me, it was an escape thing because, yeah, people couldn't see me. So it was just basically, I'd, people on IRC didn't know I had a disability either. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and it's, it's, I look back at it now and it's such an interesting thing um, that we kind of hid that kind of, I don't know if it was hiding, but sort of just didn't talk about that side of things. Um, and there yeah, for me for a long time, like I'd be talking to people and I, I wouldn't, mention it and these days it's like well why didn't you why why wouldn't I mention it like but back then it was just yeah it was that whole being a, a anonymous and having that escape yeah it was yeah, such a, it's fun yeah sorry no I just yeah because I was th- and I was thinking about it the other day when I'm when I asked you if you'd love to come onto the onto the podcast and I was thinking about that thing wondering whether or not you used it in the same way as I did so um yeah, yeah, I think I did. I think, you know, living with a disability, chronic illness, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's exhausting. It's really mentally and physically mm-hmm. exhausting mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. So it's kind of nice when you can go to a place where you don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. You can just talk about total rubbish mm-hmm. and just, you know, be free for a bit. Yeah, um, yeah. And that was my escape, really. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I think about the things, like I used to hide it to the but and then I'd hide it and, it, and then I'd, um, I'd meet people and I hadn't told them and it was just that shock thing. Like, so I realised at a certain point that I had to get over not telling people and, you know, yeah, it was just that... Um, yeah, I had a lot um, of internalised stuff going on where I was just like, uh, even like putting, like, do you remember like dead uh, live journal and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I have one still, but I just haven't, <laughs> you know, looked at it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'd have somewhere, something somewhere. 
Um, but yeah, basically, even in photos, I'd always crop things out so people couldn't see that the wheelchair was there and um, yeah, just all weird, weird things like that. Um, and I don't know about you, but like for me, I guess like I, I, I came to understand about ableism and internalised ableism and I realised that a lot of that, what I did back then, was probably because of that internalised ableism. Would you would you say that, that it was a for you as well or no? I think, it, yes. I went to a mainstream primary school, mm-hmm. a mainstream high school. So there was this kind of under, I don't know, there was like this, assumption that I had to be like my peers mm-hmm. able to 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 do gym class and able to go on camping trips and mm. it was they had this I expected on myself to be just like everyone else yes and I think is that what you would consider internal ableism where I just felt kind of I didn't accept who I was mm. because I wasn't like everyone else. And, yes. I, and, and I, I wanted to be like everyone else. Mm. I wanted to, 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 to be able to do what they did. And I think that's a bit of a problem. That's mm. a huge problem when you're trying to keep up with people who are able and capable to do all these things that you're not able to do. It's yes. Really, yeah yeah absolutely like for me that was the same for me it's like and I think now it's like I guess as we're we're older like god we were teenagers back then and yeah Yeah. like so I think now that yeah what we were doing to ourselves because of and it's really because of what society um I guess what society expected of us was so it's 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 tiring enough to have a disability as it is as then having to put all that stuff on ourselves that we did to ourselves because of what others expect of us as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and what they accept expected of us became what we expected of us mm-hmm. so i expected myself to be able to finish high school and go to university and meet someone and get married and have kids and because that's what everyone else in my school did pretty mm-hmm. much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But at some point I realised I couldn't. I couldn't do it all. And I, yeah. Yeah. And what, what age do you think you were when you finally figured that out? I think it was when I was doing my social work degree at um, Urella. Um, I was doing my placement at Urella um, and it was actually my first real time with people with disabilities. Yes. Until then, I did do a a peer group thing through the Royal Children's Hospital, but I felt very different to them. I didn't feel like I was Mm -hmm. a person with a chronic illness. So I I don't think it really helped. But when I started my placement at Urella, I met people with disabilities, physical disabilities, who were intellectually fine. Mm. It was, you know, on my level, who were and and capable 
And I thought, wow, I'm like them, you know. Mm. I've kind of I found my people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm. it took me about 20 years to finally be realise that mm. it was okay to have a disability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. That's it. And, and it's, and like, I feel like we've got, even though we've got, we, we've come from having different disabilities, so different experiences in regards to that. Uh, I do feel the social side of things is probably, it's been the same for me. Uh, when I, because I went to a mainstream school, um, mainstream school as well. Um, and so therefore I didn't have much to do with people with disabilities growing up. Um, and it wasn't until to now I'm trying to think of the timeline. So yeah, so for, like for, first of all, for me, um, it wasn't until about two thousand and two um, when I started to get some health problems that weren't actually related to my disability, um, but because of my disability the disability exacerbated the problems. Um, and then I, so that was early 2000s. Then in late 2000s, I needed to, um, it, it, the health problems came back and I was of the mindset from my previous experience that, okay, I'll just, I'll just deal with this again. Then I'll go back to my normal life. And I finally had a doctor who helped me realise that, well, going back to your normal life is what actually um, exacerbated the problems in the first place. So I needed to start accepting certain things in my life, like uh, aids around the home and also to start using um, disability services. Um, so it wasn't till, so that was my first foray into, I guess, the disability space. And then um, just before the NDIS came out, um, I was involved in a thing called Lead Barwin. And that I remember I met you at a conference when I was doing that. And so that was my first time since, since school being around people with disabilities. I mean, when I say when I went to a mainstream school, there were people with disabilities there, but I, I was, I, I, I hung around with kids that didn't have a disability, whereas a lot of them hung around, um, a lot of the people with disabilities hung around with other children with disabilities. So I didn't have that kind of interaction with them until later on in life. So yeah, and, it, it, and then it wasn't until that, that Lee Barwin where I was like, oh, okay, actually I do have more in common with these people than I thought I did. And, and that, wasn't a bad thing. Like, you know, but I was worried that, I guess when I was growing up, I was worried that I'd be pigeonholed and I was pigeonholed, uh, mm. but I'd be worried that I'd be more so pigeonholed if I hung around with these other people uh, with disabilities and why well, it didn't really have much in common with them anyway. So it wasn't like we were going to, but yeah, I felt there was that um, concern about being pigeonholed. Like, were you worried about, um, yourself being pigeonholed if you sort of went into that space? I'm just trying to think. Mm, yeah. That, because it's just, 
It's a good question. Mm -hmm. and I, I don't think so. Mm. I, I, I don't think so because I still had two very different lives. Mm -hmm. I still yeah. had my friends, you know, from school who mm. were able-bodied and, you know, at university and dating. And yeah, yeah. And I was still spending most of my time with them and they mm. didn't see my disability. I mean, they saw it, mm. but it wasn't, it wasn't an issue for them or yeah. for me. It was just, we were just friends and we, so I still had that kind of life going on. Mm. I didn't feel pigeonholed. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I embraced disability finally. Yeah. And how old were you then? Well, I got my walking frame when I was about, um, gosh, 27, maybe? Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, It took me a long time to accept my disability. It yes. took me. Um, I didn't think I had one until my parents started, you know, <laughs> pointing out that I was using furniture to walk around the house. Uh -huh. and, you know, yeah. not going out as much or avoiding things because it would just be, it was too physically mm -hmm. challenging for me. But then I had this poignant moment. I think it was in Israel. I, I go to Israel a lot because I have family there and mm -hmm. and there's quite a few people with my condition in Israel. All right. It only, it only affects some um, European Jews. Okay. I don't know if you know that. There's, um, no, it's interesting. There's six of, it's about six of us in Australia. Yeah. Um, it's a genetic condition carried in the recessive gene called familial dysautonomia. I'm not going to spell it out. I'll time before you <laughs> later if you want. Um, I went to this support group in Israel and I'm the only one who could speak English. It was mm -hmm. very weird. And they got me to sit in the middle of a circle because we were talking about what do we think people think about us? Mm-hmm. What, what, you know, what do you think people are thinking in their head about us? Because my self-esteem was pretty shit. Excuse mm -hmm. the language. It's pretty mm -hmm. shit. So I just assumed everyone else thought I was shit too. Yeah. And they just started hurling abuse at me. <laughs> part in Hebrew, part in English. And then... It just, it felt horrible and yet wonderful at the same time. Being abused? I was Sorry? Being abused felt wonderful or? Just, I felt comfortable mm -hmm. for some reason. 
because they're all like me. And when they were saying those horrible things, they didn't really mean it. Okay. It was coming from a place of love and showing me that it's all rubbish. That's all in my head. Ah, right. It was just this moment where I felt where I belonged Mm -hmm. and that finally I have to do something about my disability. Right. Because one of the social workers said to me, you're having problems walking. What the hell are you doing? You need to do something about it. Mm. You just need to do it. You need to get a walking frame. You need to get help. And and that was when it all just finally hit me. Wow. It's interesting because it was at twenty I was twenty seven uh when that when my health um when I had the second bout of issues with my health and it was um one of my surgeons who said to me, you're not going home until you get all these supports in place. And I remember him saying that. And then I'd have nurses coming in saying, oh, so you're going to get this equipment, that equipment. And I'm like, no. I said, no. I said, I'm going to stay here until I'm better. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, that, at that point, um, I, I'd, I've been with my partner for um, – probably nearly four years at that point. I no, yeah. No, no, she is at that point. And yeah, he said to me, he goes, why, why would you not get the stuff? Why would you want to keep coming back here when you could have the stuff in your home that would help you and avoid you having to come back in here? And so it wasn't until that, that I was just like, yeah, okay. And now it makes total sense. But back then I just was wanting to fight it and think, no, 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 I can get over this and just, you know, put it, push it aside. Um, yeah. Cause I just wanted to, to just get back on with my life rather than having like accepting yeah, that the disability is part of my life and I needed just to do things. Like I remember having an OT come one day and then, you know, have you got a claw stick? So it's like this long, like, oh. yeah, like, like, like the grabbers that you see in the toy, you know, the machines. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of those. And the OT gave me one. I'm, I looked at it and I'm like, you can take that. She goes, no, yeah. It's here. So I don't want it. You know, so for a while there, she left it and she goes, I'll just see how you go. And I remember it just sat there for like months and months and months. And I didn't use it. And then one time I did use it. I'm like, yeah, okay. I can see that these things actually do help now and they don't, don't actually take they're there to help and they don't actually mean that I'm any less of a person because I've got these things so yeah it's it's just interesting that we sort of had those kind of realizations around the same age yeah yeah and that someone else had to point it out for us (laughs) yeah we we were kind of in denial yeah someone brought us back to reality um yeah do you find, did you find that when you first used that claw, mm-hmm. that thing, that you were worried that you were deteriorating? Because I freak mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. when I start using different equipment or when mm-hmm. I need different, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting worse and yeah. that really scares me. Right. For me, um, yeah, I think for me it was like, don't give that thing to me. I can do these things myself. I do not need something like that. So 
but then, yeah, then when I realised it makes things easier, I was just like, yeah, I think I was exactly, I felt the same. I, I, I wouldn't say about deteriorating, but being more, more disabled, if yeah. that makes any sense. Like, yeah. Yeah, I was worried it was going to make me feel more disabled than I am. Um, and even like um, I've one time a partner and I, I had to go get my wheelchair fixed. And so we went to um, one of the wheelchair places nearby. And so they took my wheelchair out the back and I just sat on this seat whilst I were fixing the wheelchair and I remember saying oh sorry about about this he's like what I said I'm having to be here he goes well you do realize you're in a wheelchair right and I'm just I just thought that you know I have to keep being reminded like or not now but I had to keep being reminded of these things that were like freaking obvious that, <laughs> that yeah I just yeah. Part in my head was just like such a bad thing and and yeah, um, and I, I don't know. Go ahead. I still have it. I still have that. Yeah. Feeling yeah. inside, and I want to be able to embrace my disability. And yeah. I have. I have. Like I, you know, I'm a lot better. Yeah. But it's still hard at times mm. to accept it. And yeah. I just want to be normal. And, when, yeah. and I know there is no normal, whatever. I just, I just want to be able to go a day without having to think about it, you know. Like, yeah. as soon as you and I get off this, I'm going to have to turn my chair around and get my walker. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's constant, mm. you know. I just, I, just, I just want a break. Yeah. And I guess, and that's for me, I guess where I have that privilege is where my my disability is just is and it doesn't, um, bit, like there's no reason for me to think that there's going to be any kind of degeneration, whereas I guess in your situation, yeah. things are changing constantly and, yeah, yeah. So, like, do you have, with yours do you have some days better than other days and you can go back to doing things that you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. So that, it's that. a biorhythms. Is that the whole thing? You know, when you, the inside your energy levels are kind of different each day. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of annoying because one day you have a really good day and then the next day you feel like crap as soon as you wake up. Yeah. You just don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> Today I feel good. Yeah. So yeah. I think and with COVID as well, COVID is at another level to it because I know uh, for myself, for example, um, I, I get tired a lot early, a lot more than I used, than I normally do. Like I get fatigued and I'm not doing anything really. I mean, I'm at my computer all day or, you know, but yeah, I do find that I get fatigued much easier. And I, but I, I think that's more because like, not getting outside, vitamin D and all that kind of thing as well. Yeah, 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 me yeah. Too. yeah. Mm. yeah. Hey, so um, as of um, I, I ask every every guest about yeah. um the ten things that they'd like people to know about disability. So I'm interested to know um what what your ten things are. See, I don't have ten. Not the school. We'll get, we'll, we'll start off with that, mm-hmm. but. I was talking about it with my personal trainer yesterday Mm -hmm. Um, and there's this 
so it's all about the myth of being a person with a disability and that we can't make decisions for ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's the first myth. I often go out with a friend or with a family member to a cafe or a restaurant and the waiter will talk to the able-bodied person and ask me what I want or ask what we want. They don't even ask me. They right. make this assumption. Right. And it's not all the time, but it's quite a lot. And I can make my own damn decisions <laughs> and I can order my own coffee. You know, I don't need my friend to do it for me. So we are able of making able to make decisions. Another myth, we are not asexual. We don't lack a sex drive just because we have a disability. We're humans. We want to have sex. It's natural. And I think this is a huge issue, especially for people with intellectual disabilities. It's one of my real concerns because a lot of parents believe that their kids just have no interest and, yes. and would never yes. want to be, would never have sex and don't get horny and... I think that can cause issues later on because people who are sexually frustrated and don't know how to let it out because they've never been given the opportunity to, they act out inappropriately. Mm. I don't know if you know about this, they'll, you know, masturbate in a park maybe or Mm. sexually assault someone in their home. And it's not because they want to cause pain or do anything wrong. It's because they've never had that chance to explore their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. We are sexual beings. Yeah. 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 Um, I had more and now I've lost them because mm-hmm. I was thinking about them. Just one second. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Are you going to be editing this, by the way? Um, yeah, I can. I can if needed. But... No, no, no. Fine. That we're not smart. That's an assumption that's made all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're not capable of working. We're not capable of living independently. We're mm-hmm. not able to have partners, uh, marriage or kids. Mm-hmm. That it's not a possibility. Mm-hmm. But we are able to do those things. Um, I think I am able to, you know, have a partner. I haven't. I'm able to have a kid. I haven't. Mm-hmm. But people assume that I can't. Mm-hmm. It's a choice at the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are my assumptions and myths. Mm. Well, that's interesting because uh, I was reading an article the other day and it's about a a woman in her, she was, it was a feminist article about a woman in her 40s who's, who's single, no children. Yeah. And, you know, it was about the being asked, why don't you have children or the assumptions that, you know, that some, a woman in their 40s should have children, blah, blah, blah. And how they always get asked about it. And it was interesting because I'm like, I don't get asked. I'm 42. I don't get asked why I only have children. Yeah. Like, you know, why, like, why, why don't you ask me? Cause I mean, and it's not just because of my disability that I don't, I mean, there are certain factors in there that have made me, um, 
they may not want to, but it's not that I can't, you know, so that's the thing that really, really bugs me about it. It's like, you know, I would like to be asked, but no, even like um, going, I remember like in regards to being asked about things, like going out um, to, when I turned 18, yeah, going, going out, not being carded. No, I didn't get carded. And it wasn't carded till I was like 35. I'm like, how come you're not carding me? <laughs> yeah, as if, as if we're not going to sneak in and that kind of thing. So funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny because I never get asked that question. I, I, yeah, I never get the question about do I want to have kids. Mm, yeah. But. I, I, I do get this assumption from my parents that I need to be looked after. Right. That I need a partner. Mm-hmm. I need someone to take care of me. Yeah. Because when they die, and they're going to die. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was a bit... At some point, my parents will pass away. Yeah, of course. And they worry about that. Yeah. They worry about me being on my own. My brother passed away as well, and mm-hmm. they thought he would be the one who would right. look after me. But yeah. Obviously not. Yeah. So they they assume that I need someone in my life mm-hmm. to take care of me. Mm-hmm. And it really upsets me because yeah. I want to I feel that I can look after myself. Yeah. Yeah. I am capable. And if I'm not able to, I have the funding, the NDIS, which has mm-hmm. done amazing things for me mm-hmm. that will help yeah that I'll get people in to help me to do the things that I can't do yeah yeah so I was like and yeah you can be an independent woman and still have those things when you need them and and and, yeah. and that doesn't take away your independence it just means that you maintain your independence yeah 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 so I want them to know that I am capable of yeah. looking after myself yeah yeah and being absolutely. on my own mm. Yeah, I it was interesting. Like as you talked about going to Israel, um, yeah, I, I'm interested about like disability and like different cultures because um, I remember there was a quote from Stella Young and she was saying how when she went to America, as soon as she went to America, she said her disability disappeared. As I, and I, from that, I'm assuming she meant that everything there was just so easy so therefore her disability wasn't wasn't a huge deal um so so when you go over to israel um do you find people think about disability differently like i know that you said that your disability is because like you've got a a predisposition i guess yeah i don't know if that's the right word but you know to to that particular uh, condition um, but yep. do you think they think about disability differently over in Israel? I actually think they're more, um, yeah, they're more of the social model rather than the medical model because mm-hmm. with, with you know, Israel, army service, you know, you have to do army service. It's compulsory after you finish high school. Right. There's, there's wars, there's violence, there's... And there's a lot of people with disabilities there that need the help and need mm-hmm. support. So it's more normalised over there mm-hmm. than possibly here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I, and people are more accepting, I think. I'm, I'm on a, I use a scooter when I go to Israel. Okay, yeah. When I go there. Mm-hmm. I, I have one here, but I don't really use it much. But when I go to Israel, I take this, I rent a scooter and the access is easy. So wow. It's really, really good. Yeah. See, that's interesting. I mean, you see it on, on the news or on TV and I guess like it, you know, in my head, it's all sandy kind of streets. Um, yeah, well, I wouldn't go on the beach. Oh, actually, I did go on the beach with a scooter. Yeah. Because it's a pathway. Mm-hmm. I even went to the old city in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. which is hobble, cobblestones and whatever. Yeah. On my scooter. Wow. I did it. It was amazing. <laughs> I remember. Was it all, amazing. Was it all bumpy? <laughs> yes. It was. Oh. No, I'd be nauseating. But, you know, with the bump. Yeah. But, um, oh, my friend Dom, he said all the men were checking me out, which I think is rubbish, but that, whatever. Yeah, wow. Well, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Although I've got to say in America, because I've been mm. to New York. Oh, time, yes. Yeah. They're pretty good there too, mm-hmm. actors-wise. The, the, the buses are really good. Yeah. I Because I rent a scooter when I go there too. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was too scared, though, to try the subway. That freaks me out. Yeah. But access was pretty good. Cool. Yeah. Wow. So, and people were friendly. What about so so that because you've been to New York and also to Israel, have you been anywhere else? Um, yeah, I've been to Italy. Yep, I've been to France. I've been to Prague. Oh, I'd love to. I, I went. I went. It's so funny. I went when I was like twenty-one. It was my birthday present for my parents, mm-hmm. and it was really cold. And miserable weather and grey. So I didn't I didn't love it, but in yeah. retrospect, it's so beautiful. Like it's a beautiful place to go to. Mm. So you should go. Yeah. Wow, because my brother, he's living in America at the moment. Um, mm. but yeah, he's been to Prague and that's probably I think that's probably his most favourite place on earth. That mm. if he could choose to live somewhere, I think he'd live in Prague. Um I love seeing the photos of the old city and um, just, mm. it, yeah, it, it looks like such a fairy tale. So uh, I did cut you off because you mentioned Prague and got excited, but where else That's have you fine. been? Uh, well, I've been to, to Bali yep. a few times. Mm-hmm. I've been to Singapore and Hong Kong. Yep. My parents like to travel. Um, in 2010, I met, I met, I'd never travelled on my own before. Okay. You know. 2010, I decided to go to, go to New York mm. on my own. <laughs> and this is the year that my, a lot was going on with that family. And I went on my own to go to this annual event for people with my condition. Mm-hmm. And um, I, didn't, I didn't rent a scooter. I don't know how I did it. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Wow. The best experience of my life. Yeah. So that's why I wrote a blog. I started a, a blog mm-hmm. to document that journey mm-hmm. of living independently. Yeah. Of, of being, sorry, of um, travelling independently because mm-hmm. I wanted to show people that we can do it. Nice. 
Yeah, I, I've only ever been to Bali twice. Um, and that was with family when I was like... Access is bad there. <laughs> yeah, 91 and 93, I think it was. And yeah, yeah. those gutters, like, there's no way in hell a wheelchair user would be would cope by themselves because, <laughs> yeah, those gutters, they were just, especially like if there was a monsoon or like, you know, like that, that huge rain that they have, like, I understand why the gutters the way they are, but yeah, there's no way I could handle that. So I've only been to those two places overseas. Uh-huh. I've never been anywhere else overseas. Um, and yeah, it'd be like, but, but you know, I'd love, love to sort of like see different places. So I've always lived vicariously through my brother and sister because, um, yeah, they've done the whole European thing. And yeah, of course, um, yeah, I've got my brother in currently living in New York and, yeah, yeah. So I always just I love watch love the photos and all of that. Yeah. So but what's what was stopping you? Uh, self confidence. Yeah, self confidence and um, fe- feeling that it would be too difficult. Like for example, um, even a couple of years ago, um, my part that so my partner and I would both do powerlifting, and there was a powerlifting competition um, over in in. South Australia and it was for five days and I wanted to go with him um, to see this competition because there was heaps of friends in it and so I thought okay so I contacted I had I didn't have funding at the time so I contacted NDA um, to find out what the deal was um, and then I contacted my service provider uh, who provides the care and I said and they said oh, I'd be too expensive because it's it would be considered 24-hour care to have a care go over there with you um, because there's that whole trust thing of ha- needing to know that things are in place you know because of anxiety and all that kind of thing and that it was just it was too difficult to organize because it was going to be too expensive and they wouldn't allow care, a care from the company to go with me because of already having other shifts and I didn't want to have to rely on a carer that I didn't know. So there's, there's all these things that are just involved in trying to organ orchestrate it, that it was just like, no, nah, it's just too difficult. So yeah, I mean, I'd love to, but it's just, it's just a, it's a minefield to try and figure out what the hell to do. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Cause I was meant to go to New York this year. Mm. Um, and I, Mum and Dad were worried about me going on my own, and I kind of was too. So I, I met this woman, a support worker, mm-hmm. through another uh, a friend, and we kind of worked out a deal that she was going to come mm-hmm. and I would pay for the travel mm-hmm. and accommodation, but the NDIS would pay for her support, her hours and everything. If you want to have a discussion about this, we mm. should because there's, there's a real possibility. Okay, um, yeah. If you, if you want to do it. Yeah, so. absolutely. I'd like Because, like, I, I, in Australia I see there's, like, um, I don't know if you follow Accessible Accommodation. So that's a, it's a Facebook um, page um, where they've got all the – they've got people with disabilities – to actually critique um, all the accommodation places. So we know that if, when we want to go on a holiday throughout Australia, 
this is this will have this facility this will have this facility so that makes it easier but I didn't know about that at the time when I was trying to organize the the South Australian thing so yeah absolutely I'd love to have a chat with you later about that and yeah because and then even um might put something up on socials so people who are in the same situation might there might be um yeah ways we can also assist them as well absolutely yeah yeah so out of all those places where would you say it's the most accessible good question uh, israel okay That's yeah nice. yeah yeah thanks but also because i know it well so i kind of know where to go okay um, yeah 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 um, New York was accessible too, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think Israel the most. Mm. That's such a fascinating thing. I now you've got me really interested in watching a documentary about Israel just to see because of all the things you see on TV, it just does not look wheelchair friendly well, at all. I mean, some parts of it aren't okay. So like I mainly stay near Tel Aviv, so okay. near, the, yep. near the beach. Mm-hmm. So the streets, the footpaths are quite wide, smooth. There's a few shopping, like court, you know, little areas with shopping centres that are quite accessible as well. Mm. And there's this, with the beach, it's a lift that takes you straight down to the sand and there's, the, you know, a great accessible path. So it's, mm-hmm. it's good. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So another thing I wanted to ask you, because um, you gave me one of your beautiful paintings that I can see you've got in the background there. So uh, how long have you been painting for? Um, how long have I been painting for? Ten years? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I started when I finished. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. I started when I was. Um, doing my finish when I finished my arts degree, I yeah. had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Yep. I signed up for a painting class through the Centre for Adult Education, CAE. Mm-hmm. So that was 10 years ago. Um, and I had a teacher, and due to COVID, you know, classes aren't on, and she's actually sick. She's got cancer, so mm-hmm. she can't teach at the moment. She's like the loveliest woman and really inspires me and encourages me to paint. And my hand control isn't great. I have shocking fine motor control. Mm-hmm. But when you do abstract art, mistakes <laughs> don't look like mistakes. They no. look like you intended to do it. Mm-hmm. So I've also just started painting again. Mm-hmm. It's pretty crappy, but it's just a start. Oh, I like that. I love the those colours, that pink in there. Great. Yeah. Ah. Wow. Um, yeah, I've got a portable easel right mm-hmm. here. Yeah. So I should do some more painting. Yeah. Today. So when you when you're doing a painting like with the abstract, are you actually thinking that they mean anything? Like, is that do they have meaning behind them? They probably should, mm-hmm. but they yeah. don't. Um, yeah. I, but I will tell you this, I did this really big painting, like massive painting last year, kind of Aboriginal style. Mm-hmm. And my teacher said that with Aboriginal paintings, they always have a story behind them. Yes. Like, yeah. 
So she said, what's my, she asked, and she asked me what my story was. And um, a couple of years ago when I was driving, I had a car accident. I was okay. driving out of my driveway and it was really steep. And my, for some reason, <coughs> I lost. I lost control, drove back, hit the gate, and um, yeah. So there's a story behind that painting mm-hmm. about the car, and that was the start of me learning how to drive with hand control. Because mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you talk about the Aboriginal painting because um, a lot of my um, my honours thesis was about Aboriginal, um, wow. yeah, it was about the Northern Territory intervention. Um, so that got me very interested in the whole, um, everything Aboriginal. And I, I purchased a piece from the local wow. um, Aboriginal Cultural Centre. And, yeah, at the time, so the, the artist was sitting at a table and I just looked at this piece and I'm just like, yeah, I'd like that, please. And I went to buy it. And she said, do you want to know the meaning behind it? I was like, oh, okay. Because, and it was actually, it was the first painting I'd bought. So I didn't know that, you know, the whole process that, you know, that there could, there could be meaning behind it. And so she she told me the whole story about it. And it was just, once she did it, it was it's fascinating just to, to see it and, yeah know the whole story yeah. behind it and why certain things are the way they are and yeah it was absolutely fascinating whereas prior to that i just sort of thought of things as being aesthetically appealing yeah it's such a fascinating mm. thing yeah i i think that i do paint i paint because it's relaxing mm-hmm. it's an escape yeah. And I never thought I'd be good at anything. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I never thought I was creative. Right. And yet, somehow, I started painting and people liked what I did. And yeah. it, it, it's a kind of a nice feeling to be, yeah. you know, yeah. good at something. Yeah. yeah. I remember the yeah. first time I, I saw one of yours. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, when I, was, I first saw yours, I'm like, oh, I need that piece because it's just, yeah, it's just it's something just, it, it, I can't explain it, but it was just like straight away. I was just like, oh, love it, yeah, yeah. Oh, it meant so much to me that you bought it. And oh. I think I, 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 I like giving people my paintings because it gives them such joy. Yeah. And yeah, this yeah. Woman, woman bought a painting of mine. Last year, actually, she bought two. Mm-hmm. She was the she was the um, OT that did my assessment for driving, mm-hmm. and I showed her my paintings. And um, oh, that's beautiful! Wow, yeah. So she bought that one. Oh. Yeah, and this oh, this is. I'll show you the one about the car accident mm-hmm. it's, a, it's not my favorite but i remember that i remember seeing that yeah oh wow yeah yeah because i for some See, reason car and the gate and yeah 
oh wow okay i remember seeing it and at the time i was like that would make such a cool album cover like if just yeah i had my i had in my head like triple j and like some kind of yeah I mean, yeah, and it's interesting because now that you explained it with the, about the car accident, yeah, I can see that in it. And it was actually changed it again. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been absolutely awesome having a chat to you. And yeah, so what um, you and I will have a discussion about the um overseas travel side of things and yeah. if there's anything that we can share um with the audience um it'll be up on the socials so people can see um but before i finish do you have any socials uh that you'd like people to ch- um to follow to check you out or because you were talking about well, blogging so i do have a blog yeah. um i updated it a few months ago oh tallyzigger.wordpress.com mm-hmm. um I have that. Um, I've actually just finished writing a book. So I've got a draft um, and I might be putting a chapter on my blog soon Mm -hmm. to to see if people people like it. So keep an eye out. I'm on Twitter. I think just follow my blog instead. Mm -hmm. Sure. And you've also, you wrote a chapter for the uh, Growing Up Disabled is that right? Growing up disabled in Australia. Yes, I wrote a chapter for that. It's about when I got my walking frame. Oh so, wow, fascinating. Yeah. So that's coming out in February next year mm-hmm. through Black Ink Publishing. Carly Finlay is the editor editor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think her blog is tune into Carly Finlay. So you might want to check that out as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's a very exciting book. Mm. Yeah, it's funny because I've been—it's been on my um, my list for ages, and I've been looking at it. And I thought it was meant to come out earlier this year. Is that right? I yeah, guess it with was COVID. COVID. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, well, keep, sorry. No, go ahead. Keep an eye out for writing opportunities. There's always something. Because um, mm. I know you like to write too. Yeah, um, yeah. So <laughs> there's some great groups on Facebook that you can find out about different things. Okay, writing. awesome. Yeah. I've, it's actually funny. Um, I've been so busy uh, doing stuff lately that the writing, I've, I've, I've been ignoring it. So I've got about 20. Um, I use Trello to keep myself organised. and I've got about 20 different ideas for articles that I've got to write. So I've just got, um, yeah, my business coach uh, said to me on Thursday, okay, well, you've got to write all this stuff by next week. So, yeah, so I think I'll be pumping out the, the blog articles this week also. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, well, well, I would love to read it when it comes. When you yeah, absolutely. Them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much uh, for chatting today. It's been like been awesome, especially considering how long we've known each other and haven't even really touched on any of this stuff before. So it's been fascinating. Yeah, yeah I've enjoyed it. Thank you. For uh, thank you. Me. And every, everyone, um, yeah, we'll have it. Um, Thank you for for listening in and also for watching. And uh, if you'd like to see anybody on the podcast, just uh, let me know. 
uh, any topics you'd like to see explored, let me know as well. So great. And thank you so much to everybody and have a great afternoon.